I'm Laurie. Hi, I'm Phil. Welcome back to Flicks and Film with Laurie and Phil. We've got movies and Netflix shows. Phil might do an audio book. Uh, and I've got a bit of a mystery. So I've got something to talk about that I haven't clued Phil into. I know he's in the dark because my wife saw him in the week. And you were trying to pressure her into giving up the secret, weren't you? I've no, that's complete mystery. That's what she said. Fact. I said, oh, what have you been up to? And then she said, oh, well, Laurie and I be. Oh, actually, I'm not allowed to tell you because Laurie wants to surprise you on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, but she that's said you then said. Down. No, go on, tell me. What's I that? did not. This is a misrepresentation <laughs> of the truth. And I've also got my own little secret thing that I teased for about four weeks. I know. That I'm finally going to talk about as a priority. It's my internet rabbit hole that I think uh, anyone could get lost in and have a good time on. Uh, and also, I have seen Raya and the Last Dragon and the first episode of Loki. So I'm a bit more up to date mm. and current than snoozebag Laurie over there. <laughs> I don't have time to be current. I've been really busy, man. I've had, I've had a very good couple of weeks. Um, it's complete other news. I got commissioned to write music for a video game, which is like a lifelong goal for me. So that has definitely eaten up a lot of my time. I'm loving it. It's good. Um, that's called Slime Heroes. New game. You should check it out on Steam or whatever. Go listen to my music. Live in action. Isn't that Is cool? it out yet? Well, the trailer's out. Yeah, it got um, sort of showcased at an event this weekend. Yeah, it's like the views are shooting up. Like, I think it's going to hit 10,000 pretty soon. I'm happy with that. That's really good. Anyway, that's by the by. And um, you can always get into uh, get in touch with us at Flix and Film at gmail.com or at Flix and Film on Twitter, as many people have been doing, in fact, over the last few weeks. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on everything that we say. Um, and whenever we can, we put an email section into the show and read out your comments, whether on Twitter or on emails. We love to get your recommendations, your tips, your frustrations with our opinions, all that sort of stuff do send them in Phil any more notes at the top of the show I feel like we actually might be streamlined uh, this week I don't think there's any notes just to say if you as Laurie was saying if you do disagree with us we have this little point system oh, yeah. that we're sort of keeping score on is uh, minus ones and plus ones if you agree disagree uh, and we have a little bit of a brotherly competition of who gets the most positives it does and, you uh, know yes. occur to me that it's a bit of a bad competition it would never pass like Olympic rules it's not going to be at the Olympics ever because they like it's, it's a lot of comes down to the kind of people who are willing to message in their support and let's be honest that if you're going to send a message saying plus one to you you're going to send it to the the, the poor one the one who seems like they need <laughs> need the most help you they Machiavellian need their, horror show. their spirits How dare sort of you? pepped up <laughs> with a little <laughs> plus one whereas you know if you happen to have like sophisticated points of view that people agree with and go yeah Shame. absolutely and you'll probably say it at the dinner party I was just listening to this person on Pixel film the other day and my goodness he had a lot of insightful things to say you're not going to email it in they've not, not got time for that they've probably got important jobs you know important people too too clever and too interesting to show if support it, for if- yeah. If I was going to take this hypothesis mm-hmm. on board, mm-hmm. I would agree with you if it was only plus ones. But the idea that you can give negatives, I think, works twofold. There's stakes for us, so it's risky business. Show If you state, state your opinion mm. and you know it's not going to be a popular one, risky you business. really must believe it. Yeah, you're not just playing to the masses. Tom so Cruise, yes. If you do get a negative, yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we get on with the show? Yeah, let's go. Shall I start with Loki, Laurie? Yes, please do, because, you know, this is something we actually flagged ages ago when we'd started the podcast, and I spotted that it was coming up. And I think, as I said to you, it didn't fill me with sort of joy or glee. Although I have to admit that now the sun is out, now that cinemas are like they might be reopening, <laughs> even cynical old me is, um, you know, feeling the excitement of maybe a new wave of reliable entertainment set pieces in a superhero mold. Although I'm still not the biggest fan of Tom Hiddleston 
Phil, fill me in, Phil, Phil, fill me in. Why wouldn't we? You need to write a blog <laughs> called Fill Me In. All right, carry on. Uh, anyway, on that note, uh, yeah, so I'm not a huge Tom Hiddleston fan either, oh. either, um, because I feel like there was a weird upswing in his career where everyone just said he was the hot new thing and everyone loved him and thought mm. he was fantastic. And he was doing his impressions on Graham Norton. That's that the worst thing. Good. That's awful. He does I know. an impression it's, of Robert De Niro to Robert De Niro. That's just And painful. it's terrible. It's like the worst impression I've seen him do. I've seen him do much better ones. Funnily enough, he does an impression of Owen Wilson from when he was on um, Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. He was playing Ernest Hemingway and Owen Wilson was the hapless writer going back in time. And uh, Tom Hiddleston can do the, uh, wow, or whatever it is that Owen Wilson does. It's quite good. And the reason why I mention it is because uh, funny enough, Owen Wilson is in Loki. What? That he makes is no sort of sense. Main, what? Main person with him because this follows uh, the timeline or established by Avengers Endgame. There was a moment where they go back in time to try and get one of the Infinity Stones. And in the process, they inadvertently do a kind of back to the future, the sports almanac moment, which diverts the timeline. Really? And Loki gets away, causing this whole weird alternative universe to be created in a, in a matter of seconds. But lo and behold, the TVA, uh, the Time Variant Authority, comes what? in and jumps in to deal with this You're variant. You're talking about the, the Adjustment Bureau starring Matt Damon. Is it well, Matt Damon that or sort is it of Ian thing, McGregor, yeah, Matt Damon, them, Matt yeah. Damon. <laughs> anyway, Owen Wilson is an agent who is uh, in, in charge of making sure that the sacred timeline, this is literally the terms they use in the show, mm-hmm. the sacred timeline persists as deemed by the 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 timekeepers uh some aliens in the background it seems and loki is thrust into this weird world which is super advanced even for an asgardian god he goes wow when he sees the the great scape of reality that he is in in Mm. this weird tva uh, existence and it sort of has a bit of a hmm i want to say a sort of terry gilliam-esque vibe to it to sort of Beyond reality, insanity, everything sort of. Well, there's chaos, like chaos and hectic, and um, like like you'll get lost if you don't sort of pay attention. Kind of yeah, thing. a bit sort of like an Escher painting. Ooh. Reality is meaningless, and but at the same time, it's sort of organised in an organisation in a a meaningless reality. What does that look like? And um, yeah, I don't know if we got a trailer. Can we play a trailer? I think that might help just to kind of yes, pad out absolutely the, uh, the vibe of this show. I forgot we could do such technological things, Phil. <laughs> Let me just get that up on my computer. Is it old to do tap, tap, tap again? We already did that joke once. I think you should we? add in tap, tap, tap. Tap, 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 tap. We do it like a 90s TV show. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Loki trailer. Official trailer, Disney Plus. Okay, here we go. I know what this place is. Timekeepers have built quite the circus. And I see the clowns are playing their parts to perfection. Big metaphor guy. I love it. Makes you sound super smart. I am smart. I know. Okay. Okay. Please sign to verify this is everything you've ever said. This is absurd. Sign this too. protect the proper flow of time. You picked up the Tesseract breaking reality. I want you to help us fix it. 
Why me? I need your unique Loki perspective. Do I get a weapon? Nah. You really believe in this Loki variant? Luckily, he believes in himself enough for the both of us. Why? It is adorable that you think you could possibly manipulate me. I'm ten steps ahead of you. You're not big on trust, are you? You can trust me. Loki, I've studied almost every moment of your entire life. You've literally stabbed people in the back like 50 times. Why never do it again? Still there we are used to seeing the big Disney logo. Uh, it's you know, wreathed in like atmospheric bronze and dark artifacts and it's like... Disney. I kind of like it if they uh, did the the classic writing one, the, the VHS version. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely with you on that if they, one. If they, if the marketing people were smart, especially for something like this, that would be a good time to sort of Do you play think with so? reality. Do you reckon this is? Yeah, uh, yeah go back fair and, enough. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, Laurie. Uh, yeah, hit me with what you're you're normally quite good with your palette on instant reactions mm. of the sort of vibe. I I like like look of it more than I expected. It's um you write like the signing forms bureaucracy stuff is very like Terry Gilliam. Brazil is the big one, but that they're sort of trying to rip off with that. Um, starring your favourite actor, Mr. Pirates of the Caribbean, Elizabeth. Who was his name again? That guy, Jonathan Price. Oh, it's John Terrence yeah. or something, isn't it? Jonathan Price, Jonathan Price. Um, but yeah, that's Brazil. This, I, that, I think it looks okay. I, um, Hiddleston, I don't know. He looks, it looks like they've reined him in a little bit. My big thing is how well does Loki work as a character without the supporting cast? Because obviously, I mean, it, I mean, it's so obvious it doesn't even really, it's not even worth saying. He's a foil to Thor. That's the whole point. That's why. There's the introduction of his character. That's how he plays a part in everything to date. And that is, oh, I want to call him Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Um, that's the whole point is he's this stocky, slightly dumb, but very charming and upbeat, positive guy who always will always try and rescue and save his brother and will always give him a second chance. And Loki will always try and trick him. You have this scar-like jealousy. It's Scar and Mufasa. It's a duality. But here it's like Loki versus what? I don't know, kind mm. of a slightly faceless, nameless force. In fact, that's their whole point. They're behind the scenes. They're working with time. And they they obviously know this because that's why even in the trailer, you've got him saying, oh, I'm going to trick you. You think you could trick me, but I'm going to trick you because that's what we all want from Loki. But does it work bereft of all the other context? That's my question. Final other thought. Happen to notice that um, a lot of the framing there, just one person in the frame. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and it makes me wonder whether some of this was shot during COVID. Anyway, there you are. That's a lot of thoughts. A lot mm. of, uh, that's a quite a, yeah, you covered quite a big breadth of what is there. Too much? No, I think it's good. And it kind of sets the stage because having watched the actual first episode, I am sort of positive in some ways. I think it reveals Marvel's um, hand slightly in that I think they value Loki as a, a, a kind of breakout star of the Thor franchise. Uh, more than perhaps you do. I think people are really on board with Loki, but I agree. I think he plays off other people better than he does as the leading man. He it's is not a character that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And so I I wonder if they will actually struggle to sustain him as an interesting character, because I think what is interesting is the ideas around him and not so much him as a character. Um, I also feel slightly nervous because I think from the first episode, you've got Tom Hiddleston sort of reveling in his uh, in his big breakout role. Um, he was a big theatre actor. Kenneth Branagh brought him in and then he's been made a, a kind of movie star off the back of his Loki performance. Mm. And you kind of get the sense that he's slightly uh, grinning at the camera. Oh, I really? Think, Just delighted. In this, in this role, Cheshire rather than kind of doing the Shakespearean theatrical stuff that I think kind of won him the, the fans. I think the character is, as you say, a mischievous and... Uh, and kind of fun to play with, but I'm not that interested in Tom Hiddleston being the star. I'm interested in Loki being the star, yes. potentially. Um, the one thing which I think is the kind of big positive uptick is I think Owen Wilson. I'm intrigued the fact that he's in it mm. and he's taken on this role and sort of ended up being a bit of a straight man. I think uh, I already liked him in the first episode. Uh, I think he's an interesting I think I'm hopeful that somebody like him wouldn't just sign the dotted line just for the moolah. But we shall see, Laurie, we shall see. I think I saw some of the twists that have occurred in episode one right from the very beginning. As soon as the first scene was introduced of what might be the big kind of MacGuffin yeah. of the of the show, I, I twigged it. I wonder if, if you watched it, you will be able to twig it as well. Um, but there's one other thing which I am nervous of, and this is a unique problem for a Marvel show, which is that you already know they release the the slate of what they're going to release. And one of the big things that they have made a big deal of already is Doctor Strange and the, the madness of the multiverse or something like that. Okay. And so inherently you kind of have this, this end point that they're going to weave and maybe meander, but you kind of know where they're going to head, I feel like. Because they, they've already said they're going to have a big blockbuster movie starring Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, involving multiple timelines and multiple universes. So I'm guessing probably things don't stay but is, on But is the multiverse the same the TVA. as alternate timelines? You probably know you're more of a comic person than me. Because uh, Doctor Strange is well, operating in different dimensions already, isn't he? I think that's the whole point. That was the really strange climax, wasn't it? Where they battled that monster over and over again at the doctor at the end of the doctor strange so film. he's in a time loop and he's got he had the time stone so when he did that weird yeah. thing bracelet thing opened up that was a time stone but it was still he was playing with time and he could see ahead into time but uh there was the idea is that there is this sacred one timeline and in fact in the little spiel explaining tva there's some thought of a multiverse war mm-hmm. and so i don't know i kind of think this might be unlike the Falcon and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, unlike WandaVision, which have been, I think, moderate successes and quite big things that people have watched, especially during COVID. I wonder if this is the one, this is the show that Marvel is saying people will watch. This is going to be the one which we're going to properly make into the plots, uh, the plot sort of spark that starts the next big phase of Marvel movies. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts on episode one, and I'm kind of curious whether or not you agree with me, Laurie, on um, Owen Wilson and uh, Tom Hiddleston, but also willing to hear other people's thoughts as well. Would you? Are you, are you feeling excited about this show? Uh, are you feeling nervous? Are you excited? Are you going to watch the whole thing? I guess. Mm. Yeah, no. Do get your thoughts in flixandfilm at gmail.com at flixandfilm on Twitter. But I've got one quick question, which is: it just is interesting to me that that's two now, two sort of beginning, three in fact, three series. Um, launched on Disney Plus that are limited run series 
And is this it? Is this the equivalent of Iron Man? Is this the equivalent of Thor now? The movies? What is in the introductory? This is uh, how they're doing it. Yeah. Now, and then, and maybe they'll save the big blockbusters for the sort of the Avengers, and they won't go cinematic that often. I know Spider Man is still cinematic, but that's a slightly different prospect anyway, because it actually makes me wonder how comparable the budgets are for a limited run series with a smaller cast, um, or a big blockbuster movie featuring you know little towns being destroyed, as was Thor number one with KB Kenny Branagh. As you say, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, Wonder Vision basically is about a town, one town. Um, what's what will be interesting is whether or not they're sort of stringing people along, or they're setting in little chess pieces to kind of build out and flesh out their world. Uh, I I feel like Wonder Vision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier were kind of like half and half. It was a little bit standalone, little bit just to kind of keep people ticking along, happy with uh, their Marvel shows and and wanting to be signed up to Disney Plus. But a little bit also thinking, oh, we'll we'll just explain maybe how what happened between this film and that mm. film, and they're just joining the, the kind of point five versions of these movies. But I wonder if Loki might be the exception to that and actually be a kind of like a movie in its own right but just told over 10 episodes or whatever it is but yeah that's my thoughts do let us know your thoughts on loki are you going to keep watching uh did you like the first episode all that sort of jazz and uh yeah that's 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 loki done thank you locked up yes very well done locky up right phil time to unveil the surprise i know i'm sure you've been on tenterhooks ever since uh judith gave the game away as you were chatting. Um, but I came across something new because we finished, as I think I told you last week, we finished Miss Saying um, and we wanted to watch a series that, you know, we've got Superstore. We're still sort of chugging through Superstore and enjoying it bit by bit. We've watched some romantic comedy films. I might come on to one or two of those in a minute or two. Um, but you, you also want a series that's got a bit more weight to it. Do you know what I mean? You have your diet. I think we talked about this before, like your media diet. And you need something that's sort of a thriller or it's got crime involved, something political, something like that bit more serious and it so when we were doing this i came across um this incredible show that i think you're gonna love actually um and it's a very it's very innovative like I, i've not seen anything i've not really seen anything like it because it's like a sort of action um kind of vaguely espionage program um that's focused on counterterrorism, and which is already quite an interesting area um because it's all underground anyway isn't it um but what it does is it goes minute by minute through a day and it's kind of it doesn't do the normal thing it's 24 it being, come on sorry hold on what did you say what i missed it's that. 24 it's on, oh, sorry phil you're cutting it's 24. out 24 you're cutting out so what, what it does it goes minute by minute through a whole day and and it, it's actually it's called 24 because obviously there are only 24 hours in a day and so you actually get to see it in sort of real time. And, you know, in other shows, maybe it would cut between sort of segments and you'd lose time because obviously people have got to travel different places, got to eat their food, they've got to sleep. This this doesn't do that. That's amazing. It's pretty innovative, don't you think? And so instead what they do is they cut between different characters so that when a character's in a car and that's boring, you can go and see what, well, a presidential candidate called Palmer is up to. And actually the whole the whole first series is about a, pre, um, a threat and a presidential candidate and the CTU director is called um, Jack... Hold on a minute. Jack Boomer. Bauer. Jack. What? Bauer. Jack Bauer. Bauer. That's right. Bauer. It's a really interesting guy playing him as well. I've not seen much of him. He looks a bit like Donald Sutherland um, and uh, how he runs it. But obviously there's intrigue and conspiracies and you don't really know who to trust. And, and anyway, I, I think you've really got to give it a go because it's not like anything I've seen before. <clears throat> Pause for laughter. 
Yep, very good. Well done, Laurie Goldstar. <laughs> What's your point? I, wish you could, you I don't could know why you're. I don't know why you're making grid. like this. <laughs> uh, you're like the Muppets, old men in the corner. I was like, it was really. I, I enjoyed doing it on Zoom because uh, you can see me the whole time. Is I a good actor? Then I do a good job. Yeah, very good. Gold star good performance. performance. What do you actually think of Twenty Four? We I tried to watch that with Ellie. Did she not like um, it? She wasn't super sold on it. No, she wasn't super sold on it. I've tried again and again. I can't get past hour 12. Oh, really? Um, I think I've spoken about it on the... Yeah, I just, whatever reason, I just lose steam. It's a long time. And uh, I don't know. There's something about um, Jack Bauer as a character, which is... Uh, I don't know. He's just funny. It's every time he's like, and this begins the longest. Yes, day I of can't my life. stand that. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. And I'm he le- leads against the post. There's something <laughs> just so like OTT in it. It makes you realise that two thousands were like really twenty early, years ago. Early two thousands. Uh, massively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is quite unique, and you've got to remember uh, what a cultural sort of wallop it was. It's a bit like Lost, I think, in terms of the cultural impact, because everyone had heard of Twenty Four, and everyone was suckered in by that kind of um, premise, weren't they? <clears throat> Which is basically totally fake, mm-hmm. because the whole thing of being minute by minute—if you actually strung the scenes together—it would just be utter nonsense. And there's no way it remotely follows any sort of uh, pace of time or anything like that. That's just a, a total gimmick. Um, Kiefer Sutherland is a bit of weird. Ult- he's alternately really well cast and just like the worst actor in the world like his opening monologue <laughs> is like uh, uh what is it he says the presidential primary pri- primary i can't do his voice but i don't like his voice and so much of it is him talking and looking stressed in a camera and when he tries to act tough i've never seen anyone look less tough in my life it's all of it's a big pantomime but it's kind of fun ensemble action jude, jude actually owns the dvd which is why we started watching it in the first place so i didn't have the same problem as you how far have you got into it i think i beat you i think i'm coming up to hour 14 24 is a lot a lot of episodes though i'm with you that's, on that that's what i'm saying man it's, it's a bit exhausting <laughs> like, can we just come and then come on it really doesn't feel like a day and i i have quite a thought quite a few times while watching it can you imagine having to wait a week to watch the next episode and more than that the 24, 24 weeks? What is that? That's six months, isn't it? Half a year to it's, find out how series one ends. <laughs> Ridiculous. It is, it is a bit much. And that's why I think it's quite telling that we're in the golden age of television and there's uh, increasingly like, you know, six or seven episode shows that are being made uh, yeah. or 10 episodes is kind of that seems to be the kind of ideal length of a show. I actually sometimes look to see how many episodes a TV show has uh, and I, I find if it's over 12, I'm a bit like, oh, there's just so many episodes to get through. Well, I'm with you. I, and I there's like eight seasons season. of 24. That is a lot of episodes. What is that? <laughs> Nearly 200 or something ridiculous. Do your maths. So I don't, know, I don't know how we'll get on with it. But um, yeah, sorry for this stupid, stupid joke. I got Phil, though. It's, it was worth it to see Phil's face while that happened. <laughs> so really, that was just a joke for me. And, My heart sank. And no one else. Um, but there we are. <laughs> Let's move along. Well done, Laurie. You win. You win. Raya and the Last Dragon is Disney's newest uh, IP. I'm going to say IP. Uh, It's completely original. It's not based on any pre-existing text. No Hamlet behind the scenes of Lion King type thing. Um, This is off the the back of things like Moana, which equally was, again, an original product. Make way. uh, Make way for Raya and the Last (laughs) Dragon. Sorry. (laughs) It's a very good joke. We should have opened that. It wasn't worth it. Um, Raya is voiced by 
Kelly Marie Tran, and you might know her as uh, Rose in The Last uh, Jedi. She she got a rough time with that, I think, from uh, some people, which was a shame, uh, but wasn't my favourite character. Uh, I think she was uh, poorly written. It wasn't anything to do with her performance. It was poorly written. Mm. Um, but she leads this uh, this almost, I think it is, all Asian cast, and uh, it is based in a fictional land of Kumandra, and uh, it is a, a land filled with dragons, and it is, it's kind of got an Avatar The Last Airbender vibe to it. Um, I think we might have a trailer. Hopefully they'll do a good job of setting it up rather than me mangling my way through it. So, Laurie, over to you for the trailer. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't realize that Alan Tudyk, or Tudyk was Asian. <laughs> he does the voice of like the animal in it. He does loads of animal you didn't voices. Didn't think he was Asian. It's <laughs> weird though. But you learn so many You're new so things on this program. So All right, guys, remember what we're looking for, and don't trust anyone. <laughs> hey, baby, where are your parents? Hey, uh, who's baby? What? <laughs> A con, baby? (laughs) Impressive. We could use someone like you. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again, but someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. We'll have to watch our backs. We're not the only ones looking. Six years of searching. Please let this be it. Oh, mighty Sisu! Who said that? We really need your help. Ah, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm not like the best dragon. Have you ever done like a group project, but there's like that one kid who didn't pitch in as much, but still ended up with the same grade? Uh, we're doomed. You and the dragon are coming with me. Hmm, my sword here says we're not. The world's broken. You can't trust anyone. Maybe it's broken because you don't trust anyone. You just have to take the first step. I just shape changed. Dragons can do that? Look how close my butt is to my head. It's going to make digestion so much faster. Uh, can I be honest with you, Phil? My immediate re- reflection on that trailer is not must watch this. Certainly not that. It's actually a kind of a. It makes me think. What what is charm in the modern era? What what quantifies charm nowadays? <laughs> uh, because I did not find that charming, but I can tell that's exactly what it was aiming for. Yeah, I don't know what charming is either. I think a lot of cues have been taken from Marvel as the idea of what charm is and wit is. And it seems to be mild irreverence, sort of undercutting irreverence for the individual's own enjoyment, I think, mm-hmm. is the sort of vibe that I get is seen as is as sort of being smart and intelligent and cool. Bit meta, mate. Bit meta, um, a bit ironic. I actually think that is, yeah, 
I think that's the word meta is probably it. But it's not actually doing anything new here because uh, I, well, I'm going to come on to it in a, late, uh, a later part of my little review. I'll try and be brief. But I found this film so frustrating to watch because there are aspects of it that I really liked. I really loved the look of this film. It looks gorgeous. Mm. It's so beautifully animated in the style of Moana. Um, and you can tell that it's real quality behind the camera and the production design for the most part is really, really gorgeous. They, they really tried to fill out this world of Kumandra. It's about a land that used to be united and then got divided up into different sections and uh, the the kind of main body of water looks a bit like a dragon and so you've got fang the fang region you've got the spine region you've got the talon region and you've got the tail region and each different section they've tried really hard to give a really distinct look to each of the people that raya has to go to 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 get the mcguffin uh the mcguffin in the film no mcguffin um, is much better way of putting it i like that, that the mcguffin i'll remember that the mcguffin anyway um the the kind of core thing that is uh, at the center of this movie is this dragon sisu voiced by aquafina who um was the i'm trying to think of something she's been in wasn't she in oceans um 13 yes she was and she was good in that and i liked her in crazy rich asians as well i think she's a, a, a cool interesting person and um i really really hate how they designed the dragons because they've made them into those do you know those toys which you could you could got as a, ch- a child that kind of fluffy cal- caterpillar that you could make look like it was following you and it was sort of on yes, a string. I do, yes. that's what these dragons look like and it just makes the whole it's i don't know it just doesn't fit this lush rich world that they've built and then you've got these literally unicorn looking dragons flying around uh that really cheapen the whole production and make it seem like completely mismatched the tone of the rest of the, the 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 film in terms of its production values. Aquafina is fine, but she is essentially doing a a modern version of the genie uh, role in Aladdin. Right. Where Robin Williams was the only modern sort of aware character making jokes and references, but she doesn't fully commit to that idea. Um, and so it doesn't quite land in the same way. I think Robin Williams really uh, just was sort of given the space and freedom to kind of say whatever he wanted, improvise, use his impressions, his skills, his talents, his comedic uh, performance. And Genie was a massive hit for Aladdin. Yeah. But the problem with that, taking that idea and translating it to Raya and the Last Dragon, is that you have this meta underlying sort of savvy character characterization to a lot of the characters that surround Sisu. So in rather than it being kind of like there's this one character who's completely different to all of the others, instead you've got this weird modern vibe to this very kind of old mystical style land that just means that it kind of there doesn't seem to be any contrast or juxtaposition to really make the the dragon character be interesting or more dynamic than the rest of the cast. And so you end up feeling I I find myself when I was watching it towards the end, I was kind of like, I just don't care about what's happening. I think it's beautifully made. I can tell that there's a lot of love and affection. They've tried really hard to make distinct characters. Uh, They've got really talented voice artists doing the, the different, the different characters. Um, And yet that I just don't feel invested. It feels all a bit mismatched and beige in how it's come out. All the colours have been mixed together. And instead of having really bold colours that contrast each other, you just get kind of this vague slop that, that, that 
you can tell they've tried really hard with, but doesn't actually land. And I think it's really interesting that the trailer doesn't even really talk about the kind of main thing which they're fighting against. There's no reason given for why Raya is doing what she's doing, which is that there's these evil, this evil called the Drun or whatever it is, these sort of uh, glowy, purpley, a bit like Edge of Tomorrow monsters that when they go past... Uh, anyone they turn them to stone and is kind of corrupting the whole world and gradually the whole of the world is turning into these stone people that can't move um they don't mention that at all in the trailer and i think that's because they didn't really know what this film was what quest was right actually going on because it's very mismatched it wants to kind of unite the whole world together but it doesn't really become clear in the film that that's what they're doing until about I'd say halfway through. That's too long. It's got a really odd pacing, odd, odd way of doing this sort of modern talking to the camera type vibe. But at the same time, this world, which would so much be better served if Raya was just a very honest, straightforward character like Aladdin is sort of unaware of what, what the genie is doing. And instead is just a straight person doing their, their thing and trying to get their sort of, goals if that makes sense no it does um so it's a very odd mix you know it's interesting man i've got up here on wikipedia don hall's roster or his sort of cv and he is the guy who uh is the director here alongside carlos lopez estrada um who i think is, was involved in frozen 2 by the looks of things uh, but don hall is the big disney guy and his last sort of major direction project was big hero 6 which i find really interesting because actually and this trailer and the, everything you're describing was reminding me more of Big Hero 6 than anything else. Um, so I'm not actually not at all surprised to see that he was involved in both those things. Because that film, I thought, was kind of, they had this Neo, what was it called again? It was San Fran, Tokyo. That was it. Neo, well, just San Fran, Tokyo. That's yeah. it. They just blended San Francisco and Tokyo. And I remember thinking at the time, you can't do that. Like, you can't just take the gates and the kind of aesthetic of Japan and you know, and make that your new culture, which is just obviously American, just with some Japanese imagery. Like in a world where people are very alert and aware of cultural appropriation, I just thought, how has that been given a free pass that makes no sense at all? It's very shallow. And actually the film, that particular film, I think lucked out in some ways by having a strong story in it. There was, you know, the, uh, the death of a brother and the younger brother trying to sort of come to terms with that. Uh, and then this really interesting character, Baymax, right, who kind of is what you're describing a little bit more. Baymax is another sort of magical genie, basically, really, isn't it? But with a few sort of obvious limitations in personality and style that make him quite charming. And there's the whole fist bump thing, right? Blah, 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 which managed to be a big hit for Disney. Yeah. But everything else in the film, everything else in the film, is completely bland and vague and generic and just like the San Francisco thing, lazy. It's surface level without much depth to it. This sounds like they didn't have the same strength to draw on because obviously Big Hero 6 was being drawn from pre-existing comic book roots, I think, wasn't it? Uh, whereas this is a totally new IP. Very, very hard to do a new IP because you need to figure out what The Rock is. And if I'm being completely honest, based on everything you've described, The Rock here seems to be the aesthetic it's the fact that it's drawing in all these East Asian influences. They've got the East Asian cast and the focus seems to be so much more on the imagery and the iconography and very little to do with an actual story that gets people to care or characters that get people to care. If you don't have a good character, then what do you do? You just make them all ironic idiots who could come from any number 
of uh, modern day entertainment projects and you just make all these bland characters but you put them in amazing costumes right i think when i was watching it for the visuals and the beauty of this place i just thought this seems so american that was the thing that i thought overall this feels like a really american project am i right about that because it didn't didn't feel like it had anything that wasn't just generic you've seen it in every single blockbuster except the iconography and the imagery yeah, I think, unfortunately, uh, I think that's a, a solid assessment and you kind of summarise my main gripes with the film is that it is shallow. There's not a kind of core heart to this film. There's no, I don't, I, I mean, they talk about this idea of greed as a kind of main theme, I guess, um, but it, it, but they don't really delve into why that's a problem uh, and they don't, the, 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 it's, it's, it's a long adventure that they're going on, going to these different lands and kind of acquiring these different members of their crew um, but there's no real reason given why they should unite together uh, other than that's the right thing to do. They don't give them a kind of cause that really matters. And I think you're right. Unfortunately, it does seem a bit shallow um, and it is relying on the uh, on the, the sort of Asian-inspired imagery. And I think you probably are right that, that though you could clearly see it's inspired by that and some of the shots that they choose are really, really nicely composed, um, it, it does feel very American. It's sort of the American version of these cultures. That's what um, I mean. Which is funny because I think Moana's strength um, was the fact that it, it, it embraced that whole um, side of the world. And impressively, they managed to incorporate the culture into the songs and the music. And um, they do try and kind of get this dynamic of um, Raya's got this sort of equivalent who is very much like Zuko and Aang. That's the kind of dynamic if you have uh, seen Avatar The Last Airbender. But it's Namara, and they try and pull that. But again, they just don't spend enough time really delving into what is motivating the characters that you kind of just think, okay, they both want different things, but they don't really, other than the kind of obvious save the world situation, there's no reason given for why the characters are like the way that they are and what what is the kind of core um, thing that they need to overcome so you're not really going on a journey you're moving around the country but you're not going on a journey that's gotcha. my kind of summary of the film and I think that's a shame because I think with a good story they really could if they had this sort of level of production it would have been a home run but instead it's like they've done a home run hit but used like a waffle bat right you know like a plastic yeah 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 I don't know what they're called but you get what I mean you I, get know the what you're going for. I know what you're saying so yeah really disappointing do you know what? Um, it makes me think as well. I realise it when we're talking about Moana. If Moana had not had the songs that it does have, I wonder whether I wouldn't have enjoyed that film so much. Um, but it really does have great songs with some good, you know, very memorable performances. But I take it Raya and the Last Dragon has no songs. Yep, no songs. Uh, it's one of the first Disney princesses or one of a few to have no songs and also there's no romantic interest in the film whatsoever sort of presented there's no romantic story so are they saying it. no songs as a kind of breakthrough moment i don't think so i just think it's an, an observation i read on um about the film when i was watching it and things is that it's just a, a fact about it i don't know if that's sort of a strategy they're going for but it seems like they're trying to kind of modernize the disney princess and kind of take on board this idea of um of not being completely obsessed with just romantic um, prospects and things like that and not being uh, kind of defined by who they are interested in or mm. who they get together with, which I think is kind of like, that's an admirable thing. Um, yeah, have they been doing that for ages though? It's not new anymore. It's not new anymore, is it? Moana didn't have a love interest. 
didn't need one. Yeah, so Moana is one example. I think the other one was Merida Elsa? in Brave, but I don't think. Well, exactly. Yeah, so Merida. It's, it's a kind of a sh- off the back. Your of favorite Kelly McDonald's in that film? <laughs> She's rubbish in that. <laughs> uh, that that I thought Brave was a bad film, to be honest, and that's yeah. the thing. I think get new ideas. I would. Yeah. It's valiant effort, but I often think it misses the point, which is not that you should be defined by. Want thinking if you're in a romantic relationship it's going to win solve all your realities and things like that i think that's an admirable goal to kind of move away from that idea but equally it's still a big concern of most people and they like most people want to be uh with friends and family and 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 be loved and to love someone i think and i think there's some sometimes they they miss the fact that there's a reason why these things always pop up in stories because they matter to people and actually you need to give things that matter to people uh, to really connect with them as characters. I'm with you, man. It sounds like a big disappointment and I'll be honest, scrolling through IMDb here, there's an awful lot of one, two, four star reviews going on. A lot of people disappointed and I think almost it's uh, an extra sort of dagger for the um, whatever it is. In America, it seems like you have to pay $30 on top of the annual subscription just to watch this. Yeah, I think that was a massive mistake. One particularly angry dad saying his kids wanted to watch it again. <laughs> Do you not get like, a, I thought, I'd assume it was more than one watch or whatever. You get like a window to watch it. But I refuse to pay for this film. I'm already paying for Disney+. Plus. Um, I, 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 I waited till it came free and then I watched it. And for, for, for a free film within the brackets of paying for a service, um, it, it's, it's, it's okay, but poor. I think they, they don't deliver on what they could have done with the property. So, um, yeah, shame. Ryan and the Last Dragon, I think, will probably be the last of that particular franchise. There you go. We'll wait and see. All right. Thanks, Phil. Good review. Right, well, then I'm going to shelve my rom-com double bill. That's uh, The Wedding Singer and The Proposal, which you and I stumbled onto um, for another time. Because I want to talk to you about Siberia. Now, Phil, a, a few weeks ago, we did a thing. The country? No, uh, where we, we were going to do series or films that we just thought, mm, switch it off. Um, and that still being worthwhile. Now, Siberia is a film that Judith and I switched off uh, because we were both falling asleep. Starring Keanu Reeves. So it's a kind of a, well, Keanu Reeves um, plays a guy called Lucas Hill, who's a diamond merchant, and he's trying to transfer diamonds to a shady buyer. And he's gone to Russia to do this. But when he gets there, his contact who has the diamonds doesn't turn up. But the guy who's there ready to buy them or to threaten Lucas Hill, you know, pretty severely is there saying, where are my diamonds and what have you done? Um, so Lucas Hill now is, you know, in trouble. He's got to figure out where the diamonds have gone. He's got to survive. He's got to keep fobbing this guy off uh, until he finds the diamonds and figure out whether actually his partner in crime has left him truly up a creek and there's no way out in the end. And now, I, I mean, uh, just like the Daniel Radcliffe film I saw, I was intrigued because Keanu Reeves, he does quite a lot of these quite small scale films. I don't know if you spotted this. I even think John Wick kind of was one of those before it just happened upon a bit of cult success. But he does a lot of small movies where he's the lead and they obviously are hiring him thinking, well, it's Keanu Reeves. You know, that's that's going to get us a few watches, if nothing else. And it often looks as though all the budget has been pumped into his salary. You know, yeah, what are you going to say? No, I think it's the opposite. I think he sees himself as uh, the the person who has the star power to kind of get these projects off the ground. I oh, think really? he genuinely loves filmmaking. And I think he is quite a fan of the crew that he works with. I think he values the people behind the camera. And uh, he will, like, I think you're right, John Wick is kind of an example of this. But I mean, apparently with The Matrix, he gave a lot of his kind of proceeds 
he shared out with the cast and crew, the, the crew behind wow. the camera, because he, yeah, he doesn't seem massively motivated by money to a point. I mean, he's still a a, a fairly wealthy movie star, Fair. but I think he kind of uses his uh, his fame and clout for the to get these projects off the ground i think in some ways as a service which i kind of makes me hopeful that this is going to be good well, but you've already said well look much. i mean if you're if you're right about that then i stand utterly corrected and that's brilliant that he would sort of look at a small project and say look i'll, I'll star in it and i'll help it go off the ground but is it helping or hurting is it helping or hurting <laughs> to have keanu reeves because he's bad as your lead actor pretending to be a slick diamond merchant under a lot of pressure Hey, I've got the diamonds. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's so rubbish in this film. And he, I'm afraid to say, he is the reason it fails. It's rubbish. It's so boring. And it's Keanu Reeves' fault. I like him in The Right Project, but I think he needs stiff direction. And actually, it's kind of interesting what you say there, because it makes me think that I, d- I doubt very much that Keanu Reeves comes in and wants to run a project. He doesn't seem like that sort of guy. But I wonder whether he's better suited to a bigger name in terms of direction than he is, right? So that the person can tell Keanu Reeves what to do and say, that was a rubbish take, Keanu. I need more, you know, emotion or whatever. Um, But if he's there and they're saying, we're so lucky we got Keanu Reeves, then they're probably going to accept his performance as is. It's just so bad, man. I I kind of want you to watch it because it's a textbook poor performance. And what's quite interesting is that it's directed by this guy, Matthew Ross, and I was sort of thinking, I kind of as what you were suggesting, oh, is this just a guy just starting out or something? Is that why it's so lackluster and boring? Um, but no, this guy, he got, he did really well at, I can't remember which um, film festival, it may even have been Sundance or um, what was that one in Cannes? Yeah, the Cannes Film Festival. But he did Frank and Lola. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote Frank and Lola um, and he directed it as well. And that stars Michael Shannon. Um, as well as Justin Long and Imogen Poots. And it's a kind of, it was described as a psychosexual thriller that won a lot of critical plaudits. And then the guy seems to have done nothing else except Siberia starring Keanu Reeves. It's really strange. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, like, what the career trajectory of this guy is and how he's ended up doing this. Um, But it's just extremely, extremely disappointing. And I think, I don't think Keanu Reeves is the wooden sort of disaster. A lot of people say that he is. Um, He does lack range and he does lack ability but he doesn't lack star power and hair that's getting just too long too long for his age uh so have a look at this film and tell me whether it shatters your illusions or whether or whether you sadly agree with me on it are you literally saying it is about his performance that is the the only thing that tanks it or is it just just a bad production altogether no because i think with a different actor the scenes would have a snappier pace you would be in the drama more but he just doesn't he doesn't give anything away he just looks the same all the time his tone of voice sounds the same all the time the sort of romance that goes on is utterly utterly um you know you you when you have two actors in the scene talk about chemistry sometimes chemistry is missing and it's not the fault of the leads right it just they just don't gel in the scene you don't buy the romance in this case it's like the acting is mismatched. It's not the chemistry. It's that she's really performing. Like, and she's, she looks like she's getting drawn in to this dangerous <laughs> guy and this dangerous character who's so exciting. He's like, would you like some pancakes? <laughs> it's just, come on, Keanu. She's <laughs> uh, so terrible. What this is, uh, is telling me, what this is telling me is you actually do quite a good Keanu Reeves impression. Oh, do I? You, know, you think that? I like right. it. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, look, we took ramble on too long about this. Don't watch Siberia. It's rubbish. 
Let's move on. Let's do this my own internet rabbit hole. And I'm curious whether or not you have ever fallen into this rabbit hole, uh, Laurie, because it has absorbed me. I mentioned this like nearly a month ago now. And I I'm, I was sort of two weeks into this rabbit hole then, and I'm still in it now. Um, the the internet rabbit hole. Well, let me. What's your opinion on Saturday Night Live? Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. Well, I think as you know, Phil, there is. I get into rabbit hole moments with this myself, and I find that day after day, I'm looking at compilations of old clips. There are some laughs I've had with Saturday Night Live sketches that are better, bigger laughs than I think I've had with anything else. Um, I love. The Californians with Bill Hader cracking up. I think Fred Armisen, a lot of Fred Armisen sketches, including the uh, improvised song duo he does with Kristen Wiig, really cracks me up. And in fact, a clip that you sent me just the other day about Matthew Broderick being nervous to go to a nudist beach really made me laugh a lot <laughs> at the when the gag was revealed. Yes. So there you go. There are all my thoughts. Yeah. So I, I sent it to you because I've been thinking about it so much. And I just... What what it is, the internet rabbit hole isn't actually Saturday Night Live, the actual kind of watching the show. There are some funny sketches. It's, it is hit and miss. And uh, I think even the, the people who've been on it and um, the makers, the critics, they kind of admit that some of it's not great upon review and other bits. There are some standout sketches. It's a sketch show. They make it once it, 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 kind of in that week. They start on Monday. They make it on Saturday live. They do a dress rehearsal and then they perform it. And so it, there is that sense of they're just trying to find sort of nine or ten sketches that will make people laugh and some of them land, some of them don't. But the internet rabbit hole really begins when you start reading about the show and about how yes. it's made and about the people involved oh. in the show. Oh, that is the Phil. true internet rabbit hole. Get to the Chevy Chase and Bill Murray era. It's crazy. Yeah. That's what I mean. And it's just it just keeps on going. This show has been on for 40 plus years. Yeah. And... I just cannot believe it because it's literally all of the most famous kind of comedian stars of America have had something to do with this show because it's not just the the people actually who appear on the show. It's the people who auditioned to be on the show but didn't make it. Zach yeah. Galifianakis auditioned to be a, a Saturday Night Live writer. He was on it for two weeks and then he was like, I'm done with it. Was he really? Uh, Jennifer Aniston, mate. She was going to be Saturday Night Live but uh, before she got the gig on Friends, I think. What? I didn't know this. Yeah. This is what I mean. Literally every single way you kind of look in it, <laughs> It is just a rabbit hole that just keeps on going. The Warren is absolutely massive because you end up tracking these people and realising what they did before uh, is linked to kind of improv theatres and they all know each other yeah. and then they go on to do something else. I recently was just watching something about the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, you know, Dana Carvey, Garth from Wayne's World. So he was like the megastar. Then they he goes off and makes his own show and he makes his own show with all of these famous people. And that's where Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert got their start as performers. They were on that show. Louis C.K. was a head writer wow. of the show and then has gone on. It's like a weird sort of network kind of that spreads right through the kind of comedy world in America. And yet in England, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Saturday Night Live, I heard about that show. And then if you actually sit down and watch it, like, it's okay. Like, mm, maybe some mm. of them are good. Some of them are a bit rubbish. And sometimes the, the humour is really kind of generic. And yet behind it, it seems like the most interesting, exciting place to work ever. 30 Rock, Tina Fey's yeah, uh, yeah, show that she made. She was a head writer of SNL. She did the, uh, the news 30 desk, Rock is based she? on that sort of experience. Yeah, uh, Weekend Update. Uh, yeah, she was the first uh, female anchor, I believe, of Weekend Update. But you get to find out about head writers. And the thing which is weird about, um, about SNL in general is it just seems to be almost like a... Not it's not black hole because that's that makes it seem like there's nothing actually at the center, but it is this sort of 
um, centre of this this world of comedians. And at the very, very centre is this guy, Lorne Michaels. Yes. Who I'm sure you might Mega have heard producer. of Laurie. Oh, Maybe yeah, you know about yeah. Him. He's, yeah. He's a bit, you know, and I say this very cautiously um, because I'm talking about before the scandals um, arrive, but he's a, and it's, there's no scandal in, in this comparison whatsoever. But in terms of the reputation, the impact on the industry, he's a bit like a Harvey Weinstein kind of character, like everyone knows Lorne Michaels. And he is the, he is the sort of gatekeeper to massive success and opportunity. He takes a lot of risks. He drives through projects and he has helmed some massively successful products. But I reiterate again, nothing to do with the scandal side of Harvey Weinstein. But before all that emerged about him, you know, people were thanking Harvey Weinstein constantly and he was always in the shadows of all sorts of things. Now we know for lots of horrible reasons, maybe I should never have made this comparison in the first place. But yes, Lorne Michaels, he's no, a, but he's I know, a I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's that same mega kind of influencer, kind of man behind the scenes that everyone knows. Everyone yeah. has a story about him. Um, and just even hearing people talk about Lorne Michaels is interesting. I, I've been watching so many clips. You can watch, in fact, I think SNL, the actual show, has realized that people are as interested in the behind the scenes stuff as they are actually about the sketches. Yeah. Because they've started doing on their own YouTube channel, SNL Memories, where people reflect on it. But even then, you've got all these different clips of people talking about their time on SNL. Here's one of Dana Carvey and uh, Bill Hader talking about what it was like being on the show. I'm just going to play a clip for you, Laurie. Did they laugh when you did the no. audition? No, that was the big no. thing. They don't laugh. Everyone was coming out, and I had friends who auditioned, and they had come out after me, and they're like, dude, it's just silence. It's just oh, Tina Fey and yeah. Laura Michaels are staring at you. And then I went up, and I did Vinny Videtti, and then I went to the voice. Tina Fey went, ah! <laughs> Really? Uh, yeah, she went, she kind of cackled, like, what? like, what the hell is that? And, and I totally relaxed. <laughs> put a sketch in read through just to hear Lauren read stage direction. <laughs> Did you do that? Really? Oh wow. I'll tell you mine, you tell me yours. Mine was it was an intentionally ridiculous sketch with ridiculous stage direction. So you get the table read Lauren and be like, yeah. watch Dana with yeah. So it was funny, funny little poopy head was my character and Jan <laughs> Jan was a Mrs. Funny Little Poopy Head. And our catchphrase was I would go as funny Mr. Funny Poopy Head like I got to got to got to go. And she would go and I'm gonna go on with her. And then with just massive amounts of stage right funny little poopy head is sad funny little poopy head sits down funny little poopy head crosses the room and devastation i wish we had it there what was yours we didn't have anything oh. like that man sorry that was a, a long clip but the, the, in that i just feel like there's so much it sounds like the most interesting place to yeah. work at in a kind of crazy uh crazy crazy lifestyle of having to pitch ideas trying to come up with something working right the way through the night sleeping a couple of hours and then you start putting together these sketches for saturday night live and of course you've got these mega celebrities who are hosting the show the whole kind of world of saturday night live just sounds absolutely fascinating and not only that you've got like generations like you say of chevy chase and bill murray their feud the the changes in cast members people being successes and failures controversial hosts it is literally the best internet rabbit hole i can ever recommend where, where would you go to start where do you recommend people start if they're interested in this rabbit hole do you think youtube or wikipedia or reddit or what i would start with youtube and just watching uh people talk if you literally type in uh some of those stars that you're a fan of like bill hader 
or um, uh, even even I, in fact, go to the SNL memories. That's kind of where I got sucked into initially is seeing people talking about their time as writers or auditioning for the show. And that that sort of backstory of how they ended up being on there. John Mullaney, who's a stand up comedian who I'm a fan of. He was a writer on the show and hearing him talking about being a writer on the show was really interesting there's a there's a show called off camera which is a famous photographer he interviews the people and he's got little clips with lots of these snl alums uh, talking about their time on the show what it was like auditioning what it was like writing um yeah and then they just in fact they had their big anniversary thing um the Hollywood Reporter did like a, a showcase of the writers on SNL, uh, people like Conan O'Brien and Bob Odenkirk, who's uh, Saul in Better Call Saul. Yeah. It literally is like pretty much if there's a show you've enjoyed, which is comedy based uh, from America, there's some little route that links back to Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live in some way. Um, and yeah, yeah. And in England, it kind of doesn't really have a presence. But anyway, yeah, that's my recommendation. I wonder if you'll get sucked in. If you do want to get in touch, flixandfilm at gmail.com or tweet us at flixandfilm. Love to hear your thoughts. If you do fall into that rabbit hole, uh, you know the drill. Hey, that's the end uh, of episode, well, 15. We forgot to say it right at the beginning. 15 of Flix and Film with Laurie and Phil. 15 episodes in, it's going quite nicely, isn't it, Phil? I, I think I'm confident we'll get to the big 5-0, 50 uh, and then hence, hence forwards, <laughs> sorry, with a phrase. Uh, remember to get your thoughts and opinions in on everything that we've said, especially if you disagree or strongly agree with us. Uh, flixandfilm at gmail.com or at flixandfilm on Twitter and send in your plus and minus ones as well. Phil, you say you have a bonus. What a red letter day. I do Blue have a bonus. Calais. Just to say, before I get into my bonus, which I, I, I always feel nervous about bonuses because I don't don't have the same zany brain as my brother. But just do, do, do tell other people about the show. If you've been enjoying it, then do let them know and recommend us to other people. That's a great way you yes. can support us if you've been enjoying our rambles and things like that. So, yeah, do get in touch uh, with reviews. other people. Reviews are great on... Um iTunes and stuff like that, although I'm, I'm well aware that there are so many different ways to watch it now. And I don't know if you've seen recently, Phil, but Apple just read it, their podcast app, and now it's, it's just rubbish. What they're doing, they keep on tinkering and th- making things worse. I've stopped using Apple well, product, there you go. Um, podcasts. So that's that's just a by the by. Uh, here's my bonus, Laurie. How do you feel about... Um, uh, I, d- I don't know how to give this a name of things, but I am getting really, really cross with seeing internet videos go viral, top of Reddit, shared on Twitter, whatever it is, of people making uh, non-chocolatey things out of chocolate. Uh, I just, I don't get the appeal of why people feel the need to make Ferris wheels out of chocolate <laughs> and why that is a credible thing. And uh, and I, I don't know why. I find it really deeply irritating. Like, why is there so much effort being put into things that are made out of chocolate that don't need to be made out of chocolate i saw them make a chocolate compass and i was like (laughs) great you've made a chocolate compass and you spent ages doing it and then inevitably all these videos end with just them slicing down the middle and being like look it's not it's not what it looks like it looks like this but it's actually made of something that you could cut right Mm. through and then it's just i don't i who why why is this a thing the same thing as well with cakes that look like food (laughs) You know, like cakes. They even did an episode of it on Great British Bake Off. Like, why is that a thing? Why is that a thing? Like, why do we need cake to look like something else? Like, I don't, I think, wow, you've made a a burger that's, you've 
I don't, I don't understand it, Laurie. Help me, help me understand why is there food of the stuff? The thing is, man, you're, you're, in some way, I've never felt like you and I are on the same page more than at this moment because this is exactly the kind of thing that winds me up. Um, but I think in this particular case, less so than you, um, it's the kind of creep, isn't it? It's the creep and the crossover of um, of uh, the media in today's world. It's Instagram becoming TV, or it's in, you know what I mean. It's just that someone has made uh, a birthday cake. That looks like a giant turnip because, you know, their husband's a farmer or whatever. And they've put it on Facebook and people are like, oh, wow, OMG, that's just amazing. It looks exactly like a turnip. And actually, if your friend had done that, you'd be like, that's really cool. And that's kind of funny. Well done for doing that. But then it's just that kind of being extrapolated and corporatized so that it's kind of absurdly amazing cakes that are being baked that look like something else. But I'm with you. Once you've seen it, you've seen it, right? And that's it. It doesn't, there's nothing more to it than that. Right. And it's the same thing with the chocolate. I mean, I can see why you do it. You've got to remember, Phil, like if you're tired and you've only got a few minutes and you're just scrolling on your feed and you see, um, you know, a chocolate Ferris wheel that really works and then, you know, they turn up the heat and the whole thing melts. That would be kind of, you would watch that and think, oh, this is kind of nice. And then share it with someone else. Or you saying the melting doesn't that's, happen that, or something. The melting doesn't happen. I'd so watch that if they melted at the end. That would be amazing. Instead, it's just them basically using like industrial tools yeah. to construct something out of chocolate yeah. and just putting it together and like cutting it up. And it's like so much craft and energy has been made to make this Ferris wheel out of chocolate. And then I just think like, Okay, you've made a Ferris wheel of chocolate. What next? What? What? Okay, I just feel like, what am I meant to do with this? You're, you're not going to eat it. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. But what it makes me think of is, it's actually you said a Bake Off, a sketch that I thought of, but I've never known how to sort of put together. Um, covers the the extra slice, the Great British Bake Off, an extra slice. Do you ever watch that with Joe Brand? I have seen bits of it here and there. Yeah. For the life of me, I. Again, it's something that makes me feel disconnected from reality or it makes me realise that there are just people in the world who, you know, fine, do their thing. But I just realise that I, I just can't, I cannot engage with the world in the way that they do because that show is basically a, I've made a cake. <laughs> Have you made a cake? I've made a cake. Um, oh, look, they've made a cake. Have you? Oh, look, you've made a cake. I've made this cake. Uh, look at the they made a cake let's look at that oh look they made a cake uh, join us next week and we'll see if anyone else has made a cake <laughs> that's the show that's it that's, what do you and I can't like and I just watch like the whole I've made a cake and it's sort of What's funny about it is it's like oh, it's like a way into TV and media and a world that is normally reserved for people who've written a story or achieved something or done something that is genuinely kind of out of your sphere of existence and relevance. That's why you watch it. And it's more like just your lovely like neighbor um, who just bakes cakes, having a reason to be on TV. I made this cake and it's a it's a castle cake. <laughs> And I made it last week. <laughs> now that's on TV now. <laughs> like, uh, so I think this has been bubbling up for a while. And I don't know why. That's so good. I've, have you made a cake? <sighs> yeah. And I thought that would be a genuinely good sketch. And you could have to, like someone being Joe Brand asking, oh, have you made a cake in lots of different ways? Um, and very, very, very anxious people who really shouldn't be anywhere near a TV camera saying, with trembling hands saying, I made this oh, cake. Man. Um, anyway, so yes, I do know what you mean. 
Uh, yeah, you're completely right. It is the dis- just reality. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a world that doesn't make sense. It's the world that makes cakes, Phil. Have a lovely week, listeners. Hope you enjoyed that extended uh, ending ramble there. Send your thoughts in. Flixandfilm at gmail.com, at Film on Twitter. And as Phil says, yeah, do tell your friends about the show. Get them to subscribe. Get them to email in. In the meantime, enjoy the sun. It's too hot, Phil. It's too hot. I am feeling sticky. <laughs> lovely. On that thought. Do I want to end on that note? Yeah. Too late now. <laughs> Bye. Bye. They are my favourite kind of jokes, jokes that are for you, for you and for no one else. It's like, as I said to you the other week, paying for something by sending someone an attachment with a photo of a £10 note on it. Um, it's just... <laughs> that is truly payment, funny. Payment attached. Yeah. Yes, what were you going to say? attached. <laughs> I really... I, you, if you haven't ever done that, you should really try it and see what kind of reaction you get. Often the reaction is nothing because people don't know, they know what to say. It's really good. I, the thing is, I wonder if you're there behind the computer going and giggling away like a little child at the back of the classroom mm. and the, it's more like an adult like a kid playing a joke on an adult and the adult just opens it and kind of goes what and What's then this? just moves on with their life whereas you're like <laughs> still get to like laugh don't i Dennis the menace i'm kid. fine with that i'm absolutely <laughs> fine with that okay so do you want to do the clap this time or shall i do the clap it doesn't matter does it you do it i can do it one two three <laughs> that was <massive. laughs> really weird being on the other side of that because it's actually synced whereas normally i just wait for you to and that's what you see now um all right you're just sat there like an idiot yeah okay